Hello, everyone, and welcome to this OSSERT 2010 podcast. I'm Patrick Gray. RB2's coverage of the OSSERT 2010 conference is brought to you by Microsoft Forefront. So thank you to Microsoft for making all of our OSSERT podcasts possible. In this presentation, you'll hear Scott McIntyre talking about maintaining proportionality with this whole security shebang. Scott's the Chief Security Officer for Dutch ISP Access for All and serves on the Board of Directors for the Forum of Incident Response and Security Teams, or FIRST. In this talk, Scott argues that all the FUD out there is leading to over-regulation. He also argues that CSERT teams and incident handlers actually cause some security failures and that understanding the far-reaching consequences to our actions is critical if we're ever going to have a safe internet experience for the masses. I hope you enjoy his talk. Right, so today's message is going to be slightly different than some of the things I've spoken of in the past. I want to talk a little bit about making sure... That's better that we maintain our perspective and our proportionality, that we as an industry, and actually before I continue, how many of you here actually work for a C-cert or a cert? Okay, not as many as I was kind of hoping. So really those are the people I'm primarily focused at, but I think this is true for everybody in the room. We need as an industry, and really everybody in this room, all of the vendors, everyone, needs to remember the consumer. We need to remember the people that we are here to support. And I think that we've really been losing our way. I think that we're getting confused by the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, all of the things that Mark just spoke about. I think that we are losing our way in what we're doing on the Internet. So I wanted to use this opportunity to remind us that the Internet is now being perceived as a utility by the vast majority of people. They walk into the house, they flip on a switch, the lights go on. That's how people now see the Internet as well. And it's our job to make sure that it continues to work that way. And of course, I want to ignore, sorry, ignore, well, actually, it's true, ignore and annoy as many government types as I possibly can. So, oh, sorry about that. So what is it that we do all day as an industry? Well, a little bit of this. And if you understand what this means, then you obviously know that that's part of the problem. Right? We, we as an industry seem to be so focused on stopping an individual attack, of trying to stop this, trying to stop that. Great. Got it out of your system? Feel better? Good. Right. That'll shut them up for a while. So, and this applies to me as well. In my day job, these are the types of things that I do. Now, I don't personally handle all 786,000 events across our provider, but they all some go through systems that I help manage, maintain, and run, pass them on to different parts of the industry and so on. Um, I have to worry about things like botnets, phishing sites, spam, HTTP servers that have been compromised in one way or another, all of the usual stuff that I think most of you are familiar with, dealing with security architecture, dealing with legal and regulatory compliance, and, of course, um, I never, ever, ever wear a suit and tie. And I don't think any of you have ever seen me one. Never will, never will happen. I just really hope not. And of course, the only thing that keeps me going is the coffee. Um, and my employer, oh, sorry about the quality of that. They installed a 20,000 euro coffee machine. And convert that to Australian dollars is what, half a million Australian or something like that? I think? <laughs> so the question is, why is it that we do this? Well. As a provider, we have to have some form of a reasonably clean network. I don't think it's possible to have a clean internet. I think that anybody's selling you clean pipes. If you've seen something about Mary, no, sorry, it's a completely different reference. Um, 
I think anybody who's selling you that service, they're not really selling you something that exists. There is no such thing as an entirely clean internet, as much as we would all like it. But as a provider, I have to be very cognizant of the effect of things like blacklists, of people that are doing filters of maybe my ISN, my provider, network space, whatever it happens to be. I don't know if there's any Romanians in the room. Oh, no hands went up, good, because I do have something in my pocket. No, sorry, kidding. Um, but we do, as providers, have to be very aware about the attacks that occur against us. So, once again, the purpose of what I want to cover right now is that we must maintain proportionality. We must remember the consumers. We seem to be stuck in a very weird loop of giving ourselves the same problems to solve. Well, just what he said, right? We seem to be creating the problem and then coming up with the solutions for them. And it's creating some real busy work and it's starting to be really frustrating, certainly to me. Now, a few years ago, um, a friend and colleague of mine, Jim Duncan, put forward the following way of looking at incident response. He took the Kubler-Ross model and applied it to incident handling. If you're familiar with this, and most people know this as the stages of grief, right? And the, and the actual Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has since back, backtracked on this and said, well, maybe it's not how it really works. They don't appear in any order. But think about it. You can actually apply most of these labels to your daily work. When you go around and you tell your, somebody in your organization that they've been compromised, the website doesn't work anymore, they typically react with one or all, perhaps even simultaneously, um, with one of these reactions. And it is very familiar. And I think that this is, this is indeed true. Now, I want to extend that a little bit more. I recently read a book that made me sort of rethink a little bit about what I think the problem is in our industry. And I think that part of that is that we're doing a really bad job of anticipating that which is in the future, of the unexpected. But we should be doing better. And this is really put forward by the concept of the black swan. I don't know if anybody has read this particular book or not, but the concept is really pretty simple. Black swan is, a, and it was by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Um, who's read it? Okay, so the idea here is, is fairly simple. Black swan events, until somebody saw a black swan, we thought it couldn't exist, right? It starts like that. From our point of view, a black swan is a rare event it has extreme impact, and in retrospect, is always predictable. Now think a little bit about those terminologies, those terms, and how they might apply to your work in incident handling and computers, computer security. Good example, 9-11. And the, I'm sorry, I'm going to go a little bit long on time. I'll try not to. It's these sort of anecdotes that come along. So um, the point from the book was, imagine the guy who would have passed the law in the United States that says, as of September 10th, every cockpit door has to be quadruple reinforced with all sorts of extra steel and so on, right? That person would have been flamed, would have been lambasted as a massive taxpayer waste of money, but then September 11th never would have happened. So it's difficult to know the person who comes up with a really bad idea now might actually have saved something, but we have no way of measuring that. Anyway, so what I want to throw out there is the concept that in our industry, in computer security, we have game-changing events, but we're not focusing on those. We're focusing too much on the minutiae. So I almost hate to quote this person, but he really did say it very well. Donald Rumsfeld, <laughs> right? There are known knowns. These are the things that we know we know. There are the known unknowns, that is to say, the things that we now know we don't know, but there are also the unknown unknowns. These are the things that we do not know we do not know. Right? If you can actually untangle that, he's not wrong. Right? There are a lot of things that we don't know that we don't know. So 
Our industry, I think, is full of these types of game-changing events, these black swans, black signets, whatever you want to call them, for good and evil. I consider some of these things to be examples, things like TCP wrappers. Until they came along, nobody saw the need. But in retrospect, it's like, duh, right? It, just think of the problems that it has solved. I hope you use them if you have systems that can. Um, social networking, again, we really should have seen that one coming, but it hit us, caught us a little bit by surprise, and now it's all over the place and incredibly pervasive. Botnets, attacks like man in the browser, those types of things. But I think that one of the problems we have is too many people that are really focused on the minutiae of what's going on on the internet with internet security. We're looking too much at what's happening within a particular ASN, what a domain is doing, what a certain IP address. We are polluting ourselves with the toxicity and amount of data that we are providing ourselves. So it's making it real easy to walk out there. Again, no offense to the vendors. I think that the products that are made out there serve the purpose which we've created for them to serve. But we have to ask ourselves, are we not making it worse by looking at this side of issues? So what's happening is we're looking at these patterns of the data, and we're starting to play, and I think we all know the term, whack-a-mole. We're all just running around in circles saying, what's the latest threat that I can load a signature for, and everything's going to be okay? Another concept from the Black Swan book is that of silent evidence. Basically, these are things that we don't take into account because they can't speak up for themselves. And in the case of firewalls and IDSs and IPSs, those devices all work really well for the things they know about, known knowns, etc. right? For all of the things that we don't know about, there's all sorts of evidence of evil that's out there, but we're not looking. We can't see it. We can't respond to it. And a great example of that is just like web app security. You know, we have how many times that we allow port 80 in and out of our corporate firewalls because, you know, it's port 80. You know, you shut down port 80 and everything blocks. Everything stops. 443, same thing. So we have all of this data, and we as C-certs and certs are being trained to sit and wait. We wait for something to go wrong. We wait for the alerts to pop up. And as a result, we forget about all of the things that we just never hear about because we don't have any way of measuring that, of going out there and figuring out what's going on in our network. So once those incidents do take place, we sort of have to create a, a story, a narrative fallacy that applies to fit the evidence. Sometimes it's based upon the experience of another C-cert. Oh, this reminds me of that case, or this reminds me of that incident. And we start to create a story that tries to explain things away. Based upon that story, we write up a summary of the incident, we give it to the managers, the guys with the suits and the ties, they come along, they talk to their managers, and then somebody makes the mistake of talking to an auditor, um, and the auditors come along with controls, right, to fix it for next time. This is how you prevent things in some people's points of view. So what I've got up here is the result of um, a series of incidents, um, and actually this actually came out of Sarbanes-Oxley. Um, there's some certain controls and SOX compliance that have to do with firewalls and making sure that somebody is actually looking at them, or rather you can take the Sarbanes-Oxley and turn it into you need to have someone look at your firewalls. So the auditor comes along and asks me, hey, do you have some form of an IDS, IPS firewall? I said, yeah. Do you have logs? Sure. Do you look at them? Yeah. Prove it. Uh, okay. So the control, and I'm not making this up, is that I receive a daily email with a summary of incidents, signature-based, right? So you already know it's not doing the right thing, that tells me that there is a problem on our network over the last 24 hours. That, I'm, a, I'm a Mac person, if you couldn't tell, right? Okay, so the email client on the Mac when you have new mail has a little blue ball next to the mail saying it's unread. So the control is that I don't have blue balls. <laughs> So the auditor comes around and says, you know, hey, Scott, can I see your blue balls? 
And if they, if they see those four blue balls, then there's obviously something that's gone wrong with the system. But that, in their point of view, is the auditing reality is based upon what they perceive to be incidents in the past. This is the control. This fixes it. And now, because I don't have blue balls, obviously, the network is secure. Actually, there's probably some truth in that. But. So I would argue that perhaps we've sort of lost our way. Um, I think that as an industry, we are sort of getting stuck in this horrendous loop of going backwards and forwards on the same issues over and over. So what I want to do is remind us that we are here for the internet. We're here for each other. We're here for every consumer, every business. We're not just a bunch of geeks looking at porn, for the most part. Although I see a number of laptops that are open, and I bet more than one of them are just looking at porn. So I wanted to give some food for thought. And I don't have answers to these questions, and I certainly have tremendous respect to the, the various software and reverse engineers and the people who can look at malware and think and dream in assembly language, but I'm starting to wonder if that's not part of the problem, that we are finding ourselves getting so worked up about malware, about what the latest code injection does, that we're not actually trying to address the real problem, that of human behavior that of dealing with the people who are falling for, here's something to click on. What can we do about that? And I know you can't patch human stupidity, and I don't think that I'm arguing for that, but I do think that we have to realize that a lot of the approaches we have now have just failed. Here's an example of that. We took our, uh, our passwords recently and ran them through um, uh, John, the, John the Ripper? Yeah. Um, and we said, hey, let's see how many of these passwords can we crack. And the machine is an eight-core machine, pretty standard, off-the-shelf kind of thing, and we were doing 250 million DES keys per minute on that, which is pretty good. Um, in the first minute, we had 5,000 passwords. 3,500 of those was username equals password. Right? My point here, and you can see the numbers for yourself, 40,000 passwords overnight, and we're not even using rainbow tails. This is just brute forcing. We need a better technology, and there might be people in this room who could help work on this, that people will actually use, right? I think that dongles and tokens are all great, but the average consumer just looks at them and says, eh, puts them in a drawer, forget about it, back to the sticky note on the side of the monitor. Because it works, it's easy. We need to change how we are addressing these problems because the, the incidents are not stopping. So, are C-certs, are certs failing? I think for the most part, certs are not involved in architectural issues. Uh, we become a dumping ground for any kind of IT support-related thing. Oh, here's something involving privacy. Let's give it to the cert. Uh, here's somebody. looks like somebody got spam. Um, we in KP and cert, uh, our kernel team, there's five of us, um, we get reports from like the CEO level of somebody getting a piece of spam. Right? Please, cert, can you be invoked and, and chase this down? Worst of all is it's when a phishing attack, right? The first time a CEO sees a phishing attack, whoa, they freak out. For those of us in this industry, the day that you don't see a phishing attack is the day you know that the internet's not working anymore. So there's also more food for thought, or FUD for thought in this case. Um, you, you read the press, and everything that like Marcus just pointed out, you really would believe that the sky is falling. This isn't a chicken little scenario. It's not as bad as a lot of people are making it out to be. I wish that um, somebody would just wake up and see that. At least there's two people. I'm with him. I hope there's more of you that are on on this one as well. Um, so yeah, things like Conficker and all of that stuff. My gosh, the press hype around that. Ugh, enough said. So, I think we need to accept that the internet is pwned. I think that if you haven't already accepted that, you're really in the wrong line of work. You have to adjust your expectations about what the internet is, 
and what it can do, and the fact that not everything that happens is a major crisis. You don't need to have war rooms for everything. You don't need to build these huge cyber bunkers because like, there's a worm on the corporate network. Yeah, get used to it. This should be your daily routine by now. Pushing it into our industry a little bit more, we think we have to be a little bit more responsible for our own actions. I think that we have to be very careful about the press statements that we make. So some of the security researchers might go out there and say, I found this amazing bug with a click of a button, I can break the internet, for example. There is a lack of responsibility there that I think that we have to take on board and act upon. So think about it. If you're going to release source code, if you're going to release proof of concept for an exploit you found, have you already worked with a vendor? Have you done something responsible? Or are you out for the glory? Ask yourself that, right? If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the precipitate. No, wait, sorry, problem. So here's a controversial one. I believe that any national approach to internet security, the internet isn't just a single thing, it's this massive, as we heard, dynamic, organic thing. Any national approach is flawed. Which isn't to say that nations don't have concerns, but the internet is a success because it doesn't give a flying toss about a nation. Think of a map of the internet, right? This is a wonderful one. Lumetta created this one a number of years ago. They update it every few years. Here's another version. Again, we're talking about the same thing. This is still the internet. IPv4 versus IPv6 address space. IPv6, oh, that's fun. No, I'm not going to rant about that today. Here's another way of mapping the internet based upon the Tokyo subway system. Again, this also makes sense, but it's not based on national borders. And then we've got sort of the services that could be available on the internet. Different types of applications, publishing, opinion, news, whatever. But notice there's nothing about privacy. There's nothing about security. Why not? Where are we failing as an industry such that that's not one of the first items that people start thinking about? Here's a hint, though. That's not what the internet looks like. Stop thinking that it is. If you really believe that the internet starts and stops with an imaginary line on the sand, well, okay, Australia's a little bit different. You've got this water and you've got these nasty critters on the coastline, so really be in your case, it's a little bit different. But for the rest of the world, that's not how the internet works. And it's not how the bad guys see things either. Right? Bad guy B, uh, or bad guy A is just boasting he, he hacked a, a bank account with 82,000 currency units in it. Bad guy B asks, what country is it in? And offers, is it in the country of BOA? And the bad guy says, other one says, no, it's in the country of Wells Fargo. Right? Now, admittedly, since the U.S. now owns all the banks in the United States, one could argue that, it is, uh, that that's true. But the bad guys don't look at these things largely as a national basis either. So we have to... He's different, so I was trying to please him, sorry. So, I think we have to remember that for every action on the internet, every security action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And I, I am not a huge fan of full disclosure, I read it, but the reason why it causes a problem, I'm much more of a fan of responsible disclosure, and I understand there's a huge war that we can get into. She says 10 minutes, I see elapsed time 17, that's 27, right? I got 35. Oh, right, okay. Anyway, so, um, gosh, this is going to be quick. So the press takes things that come out in full disclosure announcements, such as this. This is an announcement talking about BIOS rootkit and how it can be compromised, how you can do stuff. Now, as an, as from a brilliant piece of research, this is interesting stuff, but this generated calls to our help desk. I've got a laptop that's one of those brands. What do I do about it? That's the problem that we have to address. We are forgetting about these types of issues. 
most people out there, most of the consumers, most of the business owners, they don't get our terminology and our jargon. They don't know or necessarily care what a DDoS is, what's an iframe, JavaScript, think, talk about zero days, cross-site scripting, all that stuff way over their heads. And they, we're doing a really bad job of communicating what it means. What's the risk? How does this affect you in your daily life? So we need to work harder at contextualizing our information and making it more accessible. So here's an example of a DDoS from real life that I've been using to talk to our board of directors and so on. And you can see their lights go, ah, when I go through this. So what happened is in the city of Amsterdam, or actually the whole country of the Netherlands, they've been deploying um, what we call an OVA chip card. It's a public transportation card with an RFID chip in it, so it's secure. Um, and when they decided to deploy this on Flag Day, they had these barrier systems. So in order to leave or enter the public metro system, you have to swipe your card and away the system goes. They didn't take into account traffic flow. So what this meant was at the end of the school day, when all of the kids who were living or going to school outside of Amsterdam were going back into the central area to get off and then go onto the trains, they all arrived at the same time. The metros were full, but the exit portals didn't operate fast enough, and they couldn't take in the flow of people. This is what it looks like. Oh, sorry about the quality of that. Imagine that there's about 70 people crammed into a really tiny amount of space. Let's see if this one's any better. You can see the heads there. You can't get out, basically. It is a complete failure of the entire system. There's no way to get out, and it becomes a health and human safety thing because it's escalators that are pushing people up into the exit area. Right? The escalators aren't stopping. People are just, there we go. So people are still trying to get out. They can't get anywhere. You can't see which way the exits are and so on. So this is a DDoS in, in a very real sense. Each person is a packet. So one of the responses from the government or for the people who ran the system was to introduce rate limiting. Their version of rate limiting was turning off one escalator. Right? So now, only those people who aren't lazy bastards like myself start walking up, right? So there's a slower rate of packet egress, and everyone's happy, and it all seems to work. And of course, like a lot of ISPs and providers, they came around and they realized that really the only solution is to add bandwidth. So they added in more portals that operate a little more quickly, and they changed the way the system works. So again, the point here is that a lot of the things that we do, a lot of our work, isn't understandable to the very people we're trying to help. We really have to do a better job on that. So because I've got so less time, I'm going to skip over cloud security because it sucks. Um, I'm going to skip ahead to my next little, okay, cloud security sucks, not my talk about it, it's just, it does. And if you don't believe me, we can talk about it later. Um, right, so now I want to talk a little bit about another one of my favorite ranty topics, governments laws, legislation, and how badly we're going wrong with that. In the Netherlands, they have a system which requires providers to deliver to the government every day every identity of every subscriber, every phone number, every IP address they're given, email address, postal address, hand it over. Um, it's a 24-hour snapshot at our expense, of course. Um, the whole taxpayer and who pays for it, that's another argument we can talk about over seven or eight beers, since I know that'll work out in my favor. Um, but it is really prone to misuse this massive centralized database of every internet user in the country. In a recent situation, a sports personality was accused of a particular crime in the Netherlands, and there were over 200 queries for that person's personal and private information into this centralized database by the police. 
there were not 200 police officers working on this case. Similarly, there was a, uh, there was a murder case, and the, the identities and personal information of 30,000 people were looked up by the police because they had access to this database. They said, just show us 30,000 people based upon these random parameters. There's no controls. There were never 30,000 suspects for that crime. So we have to remember that magic word, proportionality. Other things like data, uh, data retention, uh, internet tapping, um, I'm a huge naysayer of that. I think it's a horrendous thing. We can talk about that a little bit offline if you're interested in. Um, but there has been a recent case in the Netherlands, for example, where it turns out that the Justice Department, the people who have been tapping your traffic, if you go to the Netherlands, they use network appliances. So all the taps and all the data is sitting on NetApps. NetApp doesn't tell you how to delete something. As a matter of fact, you can't. Right? It's a proprietary technology. You might think it's deleted, but all these snapshots and stuff keep the data around. And the government got into a lot of trouble because they were now essentially illegally retaining information they had no legal right to have anymore. Something's gone wrong with the system that we have elected people and created a situation where we believe that this is a reasonable solution. Data retention is another good example. In Europe, and I'll be speaking a little bit more on this on, on Thursday for those of you who are interested, um, the goal of data retention legislation in Europe was to harmonize so that each country would have the same information about the same person so that the very slow-acting police forces could come along and say, well, you know, I'm interested in this piece of data from two years ago. Can you tell me who had that IP address then? Um, and there's all sorts of interesting issues around it, but what's real important, and I'm not sure if it's made it down to Australia yet in terms of the content, but data retention does not apply to URLs, content, packet content. As a matter of fact, the legislation prohibits providers from retaining anything related to content of communication. So that then, data retention, is completely at odds with data protection. Indeed, in Germany recently, their constitutional court said you cannot implement data retention as the law currently is written. That is against the law. It is violating privacy. Sign of hope, a glimmer of hope. There are other cases that are on the way besides just Germany. But I think that you have to question yourselves here. What can you do to stop certain people <coughs> from coming up with really bad ideas that might impact your personal freedom? For example, right? So, and Marcus mentioned one of the magic words. There's two words, or three words in this case, that you can use at any time to justify any form of, of, of obtrusive behavior, sniffing, packet grabbing, whatever you want to call it, against the normal people, the masses. Throw in child porn, throw in terrorism, and that's it. You can justify anything. You can get the budgets to do whatever you want. So I'm going to argue that we should turn it around and we should help people. We as an industry should be requiring or insisting that lawmakers start mandating strong cryptography. Why is it that we aren't doing these things to protect our data, to make it harder on the bad guys? Why are we allowing it to be this easy for the government to get at the information and therefore the bad guys to get at it? As we know, most people see security as something like this. They just don't, they see it as a, as a temporary impediment that's very easy to get around because really they just want to get from A to B. That's what the bad guys do. So if people just want to get around it, then they will. In my office recently, uh, one of the senior managers had her laptop locked in a filing cabinet, nice and secure, safe, so she needed to get at it. So what did she do? Well, about half my department are semi-professional lockpicks. Um, so she just walked out and she said, does anybody have the lockpick set? Can get in the cabinet? It's like all these people whip out their pick sets. Oh, yeah, I'll do that for you. So people just get around the security. So if people don't understand it, They'll just get around it. 
Um, you have people such doing things as uh, the internet filtering here. Please stop that. Um, and it is just a form of ostriching. But the important thing from our point of view as an industry is we need to know that the loss of trust in the technology, in the, in the products and the services, it's all about showing people more than just a certificate on the wall. An ISO standard means nothing to the average consumer. It might mean something to the auditors who are looking for your blue balls, but it doesn't mean a single thing for the average consumer. Indeed, unless we remind people that the important things we're trying to protect are actually secrets, then they're not going to understand the reason why these things matter. People just don't get privacy until they think about it in that context. This is an example of how the world has moved on. I don't know if you saw this story. This is a guy who was taunting police on Facebook. He escaped from prison. He kept updating his Facebook wall saying, ha-ha, can't catch me, as he moved around the country. And this is a case from Australia. Right? These are people who were trapped, and apparently instead of calling 000, they updated their Facebook profile saying, hey, look, uh, so-and-so is trapped and stuck and, and hurt and can't get out or whatever it was. So I'm going to end very shortly. This is a friend of mine. Ask me some questions. Is it safe for me to do internet banking? I said, well, yeah, it, it can be, you know, depending on what browser you're using, and um, have you got the SSL, and have you got your anti-malware, and do you run firewall, do you got software updates? I go through the things that I've been pre-programmed to do because that's what my industry is programming me to do. I'm trying to fight against it. I'm trying to say just a simple yes or no. That's all she wants to hear, but of course it's not the easy answer. And so she says, well, if I have to do online banking, why are all the banks closing their offices? Why can't I just go into a, a branch and do my banking? I was like, well, you know, economics and the bank, online banking is cheaper and all that. You can understand how she's confused. And then she says, well, I don't even trust the supermarket to do direct debit for my bank account. I'm not going to trust other people to use this online service and so on. So I go through all of this with her trying to explain how it can be made safe and secure and the wet right browser and updates and all that stuff. And she comes to me with one more question. What's a web browser? Right? So I have a, I'm going to go through this. It's only about half a minute long or so. But this is the community that we need to be able to help. Uh, what is a browser? A website that you can search on, I think. I call it the search engine. That's what I call it, the browser. What is a browser? Um, browser is a search engine. Browser. It's a search engine. Browse. What? It's where I search through, like, to find things. Close. It's, it's where you put your search terms, correct? What is a browser? Google. <laughs> what else? Uh, browsers would use to look at internet web pages. What is a browser? What is a browser? Uh, I use the Yahoo. No, is that not a browser? Do you know what the difference is between a search engine and a browser? Well, not exactly. I mean, no. I don't know. I guess the internet is just where you, you know, find anything and... I guess you browse the same way. Hell, I know, man. <laughs> a browser is when you know what you're looking for, and a search engine is when you're searching for something. I assume a browser is the way to get on, but uh, no, I don't know much. So do you know what the difference is between Google and your browser? Um, no, not really. <laughs> Honest. So in summary, we must all act responsibly. There are very much consequences to our actions as an industry. Security isn't just a piece of software or hardware. We must be thinking critically about the things that we're... Yeah, sorry, Bruce. It was the last line that just made Bruce... 
Get a Mac. Um, we must stay mindful of the role of regulatory bodies. We have a voice in this community. Um, I know that Australia actually mandates that people vote. If you care about privacy and security, if you care about these things, use that power, right? So finally, for good, use your powers, please. Thank you very much.